Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody and welcome to the show made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well today we're joined by a man who has tasted the highs and lows of professional football. English born striker Michael Bridges impressed at Sunderland. He starred for Leeds and as a youngster was tipped for big things up front for his country. Well injuries and a series of false starts at other clubs took him in a different direction but... If you're a believer in fate and things happening for a reason, then I suspect you're warm to Michael's journey. These days, he's a pundit for Optus Sport. He's moved into a bit of management, and we've taken him on as one of us here in Australia. Michael, hello. Thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great, great to have a chat, and um, looking forward to having a trip down memory lane. So we're actually, just before that, where, where is home right now? Where do we find you? Home right now is Newcastle in Australia, so a few hours north of Sydney. Um, work is in Sydney. And it's, you know, I just like to come back here, lovely coastal resorts, um, nice and peaceful to get away from the, the city life. And um, it's just a great, great part of the world. And where was home way back when? It was, am I right to say it's Whitley Bay again, right on the water there? Yeah, you've done your homework, Whitley Bay. So there's Whitley Bay and a place called Tynemouth, which is called North Shields. And if you are north of the River Tyne in the northeast of England and obviously Newcastle region, you are a Newcastle United fan, and if you are south of the River Tyne in a place called South Shields, you are Sunderland, and you are Red and White. Mm. And what is it, so is I was, it, you, I was it, born on the north side of the river, and it, ended up playing for Sunderland on the south side of the river first. Aren't you known as Sand Dancers out that way? What's that? Where does that come yeah, from? Yeah, we are. Yeah, that's why this place feels like home in Newcastle <laughs> region up in up in Australia. It's got the. Do you know what it is? Demographically, it's quite scary. Our group at Walls End Boys Club, um, we lived in a place called Hexham, Dudley, Jesmond. Killingworth and Morpeth, and they're all in the UK. And when we arrived in Newcastle here on the roundabout, that was every one of them um, districts. I couldn't believe it. Childhood memories, Michael. Your dad was a copper. What did your What did your mum do? Uh, my mum was a nurse. She was a maternity nurse and then a district nurse in the latter years. And so you and the old man would, I think, regularly catch the train. Would you not to St James Park? Watch Newcastle United. This is this is how your eighties, nineteen eighties, were spent. Yeah, as a young man, I used to um, follow Chris Waddle in Newcastle United um, up at St. James's Park with my dad. I remember 
he always used to get himself a cup of tea to keep his hands warm. And if I was lucky, I got a cup of this thing called Bovril, which is basically like if you mix some Vegemite or Marmite into hot boiling water, try and drink it. It tastes like absolute crap, but it's good memories from back in the day. Sounds absolutely horrendous. It kept the hands warm. Sounds absolutely horrendous. I'd rather the cold hands, I reckon. Tell us about Magic Chris. Did, didn't Magic Chris have a nice mullet on him, like a good mullet? Yeah, he was a special player. He was, I mean, he was known as the entertainer. What I loved about him when he got the ball, he that that mullet, which is obviously the craze in Australia at the moment with all the young kids, it's come back in abundance. <laughs> he had one of them flowing locks. He would just go down the left wing, and I just every time Chris got the ball, you could hear every all the seats that were there at the stadium um, start clapping together because everybody got out of the seats, oh, and man. it was all because Waddler was an entertainer. And then Paul Gascoigne was there as well. And when Waddle left, I became a Tottenham Hotspur fan because I just wanted to follow Chris Waddle. Yep. His album, when he was a singer. Yeah, he brought a CD in it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, was just, I tried everything just to be Chris Waddle and then got to play with him at Sunderland, can you believe, which was incredible. Uh, awesome. Uh, what, so what sort of player were you just as a kid there, Mark? I mean, what, what did your foray into the game look like? And were your prospects always bright? Were you always seen to be on the path to something special? There was we. I was very blessed. We had a very very good school team, um, our age group, and we we've got a three tier system over there. I was like a, a primary school, middle school, high school, and we had a good team at a school called Marden Bridge. A lot of good players. It was probably myself and a guy called Gary Harden were the the two main lads there, and we always just play for the ages above as well. And then when we went to high school, the surrounding teams or schools from around the region they came into one and they, there was a lot of good players came into our school year um, and especially a guy called Simon Foster who was great to play alongside, he was a striker and everybody came to watch him, there were scouts coming from everywhere because he broke all goal scoring records and I was a midfielder I was a box to box midfielder um, not a striker, just an attacking midfielder would be able to have the energy levels and get up and support the attack in a four four two system and I was. Um, it wasn't until Simon Foster got injured one game, and I played up front and scored five goals. There was a scout there watching, and it was yeah. The rest is history. It was just an incredible, an incredible um, way to get picked up after getting rejected from Newcastle School of Excellence when I went there from the age of twelve to fourteen, and then also got rejected um, from Middlesbrough Football Club when I was fifteen. So stayed on at school afterwards. Um, a lot of lads went to university. But we decided as a school team, could we stick together to try and win the All England Cup, which had never been done in our in our community. And we went on to do that. But sadly, I had to leave halfway through the season because I took the opportunity to go and sign um, on as an apprentice and left school so I could continue my studies once or twice a week from the football club um, to go to university and, and study to, to become a sports teacher if everything did fail. And, you know, I, I was just in the right place at the right time. So, for all your love for the Magpies, as we touched on, and being part of the Toon Army as a kid, you go and sign, as you touched on, for their most hated rival, Sunderland. Now, while that might have been good for your football, am I right to say it wasn't good for the old man's social life? No, no, not at all. I mean, it was the area we lived was was Whitley Bay. It wasn't, you know, it, 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 it was a mixture of Sunderland and Newcastle, but mainly Newcastle, and my best mate was a Sunderland fan, so my dad used to give him stick for years. <laughs> and like I say, when I, from the age of nine or ten, I'd become a Tottenham Hotspur fan anyway, so I was always running around the streets in a Spurs jersey right. with Waddle or Gazza on the back if you were allowed to get the, the name and numbers on back then, um, if, if you were lucky enough. And it, it was the, you know, the moment when I, I got the opportunity to sign 
my dad never asked the scout where he was from. And when he found out and I came in, he, I'd been on the phone with the, the scout, Jack Hickson. And I came into the kitchen. My dad says, come on then, son, where, where, where's this opportunity? And I, I tried to sneeze and cover it up. And kind of, I, I knew if I said the name Sunderland, it wouldn't go down well in the family. So I kind of went, <clears throat> Sunderland. And he, he actually, his words were, I'm going to have to break your legs. I can't take you there. And <laughs> I'd never heard my dad, you know, he, he genuinely, he, he would never stop my career, but he was absolutely devastated that it had to be the team that he had not in, not enjoyed watching or hated basically for, for so many years. And, you know, it, it, when it turned out, he actually started coming to more Sunderland games to support his son and got to know so many people over there. Um, and he, he still used to go to Sunderland games after I'd left and moved to Leeds United. That's how much he he appreciated Sunderland for what they did and given their son a, a start in the in the career after after you know failing at Newcastle United. But it didn't go down well with with my my father originally. And then we had a little bit of issues where the car tires on our, my father's car and one of his windows were actually put out um, and written on our you know. It, we just got a. It, it wasn't what I wanted to li- know and live in. So I left and went to live in a hostel over in Sunderland. So I, d- I didn't want to put my dad through that. And he also got barred from his local pub. <laughs> he couldn't go and have a pint in there, <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> which I found you, pretty funny. You've gone off on a really a form of witness protection there, almost off in the hostel to to, to look yeah, after the almost. old man. I mean, I didn't didn't have much um, any any real animosity when I was playing for the youth team and doing so well and for the reserves, but it was. After I played and been involved in the game against Newcastle at St. James's Park, um, and we actually won the game 1-0, Michael Gray scored. That was the day after when when it kind of, I realised I had to just leave the area and the region for a little bit just to let it settle down. Take the heat out of it. So, you, you're, I mean, yeah. I think you're only 16 when you signed there, and geez, you hit the ground running though. And I reckon, was it around 96, 97, you were, um, I guess, regarded uh, among the most promising strikers in, in the country. I mean, the whole journey there, there was relegation, there was promotion, 79 games, 16 goals. How do you look back on, on this time and this chapter in, in your life when the bright lights get get turned on? Yeah, it's incredible. And if there's anything I, I always say when I go back to schools or do talks to, to to kids or aspiring athletes, that you just never know who's going to be watching at what time. You've always got to be ready, whether you've been let down or you've been sitting to, to sit on the bench or you've been left out of a game um, or whatever, you know, you've been dropped. You've got to be ready and you've got to be ready for opportunity because I was playing for the school team, like I said, in a position that was foreign to me, but I was ready for the opportunity. And when I got to Sunderland, I made sure that I did a very, very tough pre-season after leaving school. I was given a program from the club and it was very, very basic. It was run a mile every night after school in this week one, week two, two miles, week three, three, and week four, four miles up to five in five weeks. And that was as basic as it was back then. So you can see the obviously where we've come now 20 odd years later. Um, for sports science and things. And I did that. My dad used to get on his bike and we used to do that. And you could tell the boys that didn't do it when we got into pre-season training because we were there training with the first team, the reserves, doing fitness tests. And I was basically, I caught the eye of the coaches there and then because I blitzed everybody at the football club with a long distance run. And they were kind of like, who's this kid? He's, you know, he's like a famous runner back in the day, um, Zeb Coe and Steve Cram from our area. I was just a fitness freak. But I, I planted a seed and then I was starting to score goals for the youth team. And what had happened, there was quite a lot of injuries went through the club mm. at senior level and a bit of a, a flu bug went through. And I, I was, because I was next in line, basically, when everybody was out and I took my opportunity. And, you know, that's that's what I always say. You've got to be ready and you've got to be 
on top of your game just in case something happens and you you know you want to be and I got man of the match in that game I'd only come on for 30 minutes against Port Vale and it was just a just a special moment like you say Sunderland the ups and downs of promotion relegation mm. having to play alongside a guy called Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn I couldn't have had two better guys to take me under their wing and on this journey Kevin was a goal scoring machine so I knew I wouldn't play unless he was injured or he was suspended <laughs> Uh, and Niall Quinn was just a great guy that mentored me on and off the field to um, keep us level-headed. And Peter Reid, again, a guy that gave us the opportunity. So we we had an amazing fan base. Uh, we moved from Roker Park to the Stadium of Light as well. So I saw the development of that stadium take place. And when you go from a, a Roker Park to a brand new 40-odd thousand-seater stadium, it was just an, an incredible journey. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Michael Bridges is still a teenager when his other boyhood club, Tottenham, put in a £5.5 million offer for his services in the summer of 99. But he was yet to meet Lord Alan Sugar, and that's after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're chatting to former Premier League striker Michael Bridges. So, Michael, it's 99. You're ready to take the next step in your blossoming career. Sunderland like the Spurs offer, and you're on the motorway bound for London and a meeting. Now, Spurs are the club that you probably hold most dear. You've been struggling to sit still in the car. Such was the excitement. What's the mood like? Can you remember as you're going down the motorway, it must have been like all your Christmases had come at once. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I got a phone call off Peter Reid, who was on pre-season. He said, Tottenham have made an offer. We've we've accepted it. You're on your way for five and a half million. And basically, good luck. And I said, oh, Tottenham Hotspur, that's my team. So you can imagine driving down there with, um, with my agent. I was I was a bit worried because I'm a sand dancer, like we talked about where I'm from, Whitley Bay, the, the northeast. So going to London was quite daunting um, at that at that age. But it was Tottenham Hotspur, and I thought, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. So driving down with my agent, I'm just saying, listen, mate, I don't care what they're offering. I'm signing. You're gonna, <laughs> don't, don't try and out wages or get, go too greedy. I just want this to happen. And it was interesting at the time because George Graham had taken over at Tottenham Hotspur and he was Mr. Arsenal, basically, yep. from all his years there. So I, I knew there was a little bit of an alarm bell there. Um, but David Pleat was the chief scout and I'd worked with him for England under 21s and he was the big advocate to get me there. And I remember sitting in the hotel. There was myself, David Pleat, George Graham and my agent were sitting around and George started telling me about the club and how fantastic it is. And I said, I've got to stop you there, George. I said, I'm a Spurs fan, mate. And my agent had actually told me not to tell them that I was a Spurs fan because they knew that he was trying to negotiate. And I said, I've got to stop you. I'm a Spurs fan. You're Mr. Arsenal. You don't need to sell the club to me, mate. And I'm, I'm looking forward to joining because it is my boyhood team. And I can't wait. So they, they had a bit of a laugh and a, and a joke and looked at my agent and said, well, that's you. That's you knackered now. You can't, <laughs> you can't negotiate very well. And all of a sudden, this bloody big blue Rolls Royce um, turned up outside with a driver. And George said, oh, Lord Sugar has come to see you um, and welcome you to the football club. And I thought, that's, that's very nice, you know, because this is my first transfer. I didn't know how it played out. 
So in he comes, and I've got to say, if it's the worst 30 seconds I've ever had to listen to in my playing career. Even, not even playing career, just life in general. So if anybody watches The Celebrity Apprentice when he's, he's sacking people and he tells people that they've got to, you know, you're done and you're sacked. I, I witnessed this 10 times worse. He was absolutely horrendous. And he, he walked in and he didn't even shake hands. He just said, listen, young man, I haven't got much time. I'm putting five and a half million pound in these two. I've never heard of you. And he said, you don't get much for your money. You need to fill out. We're going to have to feed you up. And he pointed at my agent and said, you're not getting the money he wants. You're going to have to earn it. And I've got to get off now because I've got to go and sell some properties, which is far bigger and more important than you. <laughs> and I, I looked and I was like, this has got to be, this has got to be a mick take. Like there's got to be a comedy sketch somewhere. And he generally walked out and I heard George Graham say, oh my God, what's he done? And I looked and I, I kind of just said to my agent, we've got to get out of here. I, I can't stay. I can't sign. They said, listen, he's just doing that to put on a face and to put on a front because he doesn't, you know, he does really want you. I said, well, he's just made it blatantly. Obviously, he hasn't. He said, that's how he operates. He is a businessman. And I just could not wait to get the hell out of there. Anyway, it didn't materialize. I went and jumped back in the car. Mm. I listened to the radio with my agent as we were traveling back up to the Northeast and it was announced that I'd signed for 5.5 million, breaking news. So my agent had to get on the phone to try and get in touch to say that it had fallen through. In the meantime, he rang Peter Reed back and he said to Peter Reed, the deal's fallen through. And Peter Reed said, well, it better not have, or you better find him a new club quick because I've already spent the money on two players. Yeah, this is a Sunderland manager who's already spent <laughs> your coin. Yep. So Peter Reed, I, can't, can't, I don't want to swear on here. He was just swearing his head off going, you better bleep and find him another bleep and club and a yeah. bleep and this because I've signed two bleep and players. So the next thing you know, it was about a, it's about a five-hour drive back. Um, two hours goes by and the phone went and we were just about to pass Leeds and there was a phone call from Peter Reed saying Leeds have matched the bid and um, would you like to go and speak to them? And it was a completely different chat um, with Leeds United. And I, and I knew they were a very, very good up-and-coming young team because when I was playing for Sunderland Youth Team, Leeds is the team that we could never beat to win that league. And that youth team with Harry Kuehl, MacPhail, Alan Smith, Woodgate, Robinson, Ian Hart, they, they went on to win the FA Youth Cup um, with that team. And I, I knew it was going to be something special. Um, I didn't realise how special because I was still gutted that it wasn't Tottenham Hotspur. But um, I'm a big believer in fate and things happen for a reason. So I hate Alan Sugar at this day, but I'm still very thankful because the way it panned out. It did pan out beautifully because I think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was leaving for Atletico, wasn't he? Um, So you fit. So you catch up with a 19-year-old Harry Kuehl there. It's a welcoming environment. And then I wanted to ask you about uh, the second game that you played there. So first season at Ellen Road, obviously. Uh, August 11, 1999 at the Dell against Southampton, obviously, and you score a hat-trick. Can you tell us a little bit more about this must be, when you look back on your whole career, one of the most um, satisfying, exciting chapters in it? Yeah, it was incredible. And speaking of Harry Kuehl, I literally went into a housing estate after signing. And, you know, I've come from quite a, you know, my mum and dad always used to get me the latest football boots and things, but I was never in this in a, in a place to be able to buy a house. You know, mm-hmm. my mum and dad were still buying, paying their house off. And my agent basically said, there you go, congrats. You've signed, go and buy a house now in the in the region. And I was like, what? I've got to buy a house. Yeah, you've, you've got to buy a house. And as I went in to buy a house, I ended up buying the show house because it was all finished off on this new estate. And I, I saw a registration plate on this BMW M3 and it was cool. And it turned out that he was my next door neighbor. So me and Harry hit it off from day dot. Um, Lee Boyer ended up living in that estate as well, the cul-de-sac. 
um, which, you know, three three teenage lads at Leeds United moving in next door to families and things. God knows how they what they were thinking uh, when it happened. But it was just incredible. And like you say, that pre-season was, was tough. I had to get up to speed to compete with these Premier League players. Um, and I'd obviously missed a few weeks in pre-season as well from Sunderland because of all the to and fro and what had gone on about moving the clubs. So I was playing catch-up and I knew I had to play catch-up very quickly because this, this standard of players were unbelievable. So we get the first game of the season against Derby and I've managed to obviously get the start. David Levy said, Jimmy's gone. It's, it's all about you. And I had the worst game of my life. It was a boring nil-nil draw at Elland Road. You can hear the fans going, five and a half million for this kid. He's absolutely useless. And I was feeling the pressure at Elland Road, I've got to be honest with you. So it was nice and refreshing to go away. And I must have made such a bad impression because when we were at Southampton, the club announced that they'd just signed a new striker in Darren Huckabee the day before. And Darren came to join us in Southampton. And I thought, I've only got a few more opportunities to produce. Otherwise, he's getting my position here. Darren was a fast player. He scored a lot of goals in the Premier League. And... um, I made sure that I was I was ready for this game against Southampton and it was just lovely to to come away with the match ball. And I'll never forget the first goal that went in was a looping volley from a free kick. Oh, chip. Dubry couldn't get to it. Bridges has scored. His first Leeds goal. And a sign of the skill for which Leeds shelled out the thick end of five million pounds. And David Batty, who was one of the senior players, came up and he grabbed us and he says, mate, he said, you have arrived, you belong, now show them what you can do. And it just went from goal to goal to goal and it was um, it was incredible. Mills, Benali, just in one way, then the other. Oh, here's Bridges! Two for the new man and two for Leeds. Oh, it's in! Michael Bridges with a hat-trick for Leeds! enough to cause Leeds to forget all about Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. 21 last week and in one fell swoop he's doubled his career total of premiership goals. And I remember saying to Darren, uh, Darren was on the on the bus on the way back and he says bloody hell he says I'm gonna have to fight for my position now aren't I because he said I was told I was coming in because you've been crapping the first game <laughs> <laughs> moves quick doesn't it but hey it does, oh, doesn't it that first season 19 goals third in the premiership I think there was a European Cup semi-final against Galatasaray mm-hmm. as well so these are glorious days do you, do you know what was really sad um, regarding that season we were top of the Premier League at Christmas mm. we we beat Derby Harry Kuehl had a massive dive in the penalty area <laughs> to win us a penalty Ian Hart slotted it away and we were top of the Premier League and we thought we were going to win it. We were flying high, young set of boys um, playing with some great senior players. We played against Galatasaray in the semi-final. And I always say, if you have a look at the results after the Galatasaray game, we lost um, two fans of ours, Kevin and Chris, that were murdered in Istanbul. And we didn't want the game to go ahead. A lot of the lads knew them personally. And when we came, we didn't want to play the game. We were forced to play the game by UEFA because we were saying, like, if this happened in England, we would have been kicked out of the, the competition as English hooligans. Why is it being accepted um, mm. that it's happened in Turkey? And we were, we, you know, a lot of the lads were friends with Chris and Kevin. The, the, we lost our way and we came back from there, played Arsenal first home game of the season, give flowers out to the fans. Um, and we got smashed off Arsenal 4-1. And the results after that happened... 
really impacted us, um, I think mentally and physically, because we, we couldn't believe what had happened. And looking back, we should have forfeited the game. We should have never gone ahead and played it. Um, but that, that's all in hindsight. But that really derailed our season. And we finished third in the Premier League, qualified for Champions League. And, you know, when I look back, I think we were 20, I think it was 22 to 26 points behind Manchester United who won the league. So there was a lot of lot of things that had happened that season that I, that I look back on and think what could have been. Just a quick one before we get to the break. Your neighbour's Harry Kuhl talking about coming back to buying property. I think he told you really early on to invest in a property uh, property in a place called Manly. Now, I reckon the pound yeah. would have been close to three to one back then or thereabouts, but you knew better at 20 uh, by the sound of it. You said, ah, forget it. I won't, won't bother with that. You tell by my face and the voice that you've just upset me. It was incredible. Yeah, it was three to one. It was. And Harry said exactly the same thing. I'm buying some property in Manly. Do you want to get involved? I said, why the hell would I buy property in Manly in Australia, mate? Good good on you. See you later. Anyway, yeah. Harry's retired. I'm still working. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you didn't eventually invest uh, down here. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, This is your journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. So Michael Bridges is living the dream, but unfortunately, a nightmare run with injury is about to begin. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former lead star Michael Bridges. So, uh, Michael, the year 2000, you're 22, you're on top of your game, the club's flying, you're playing for Leeds against Besiktas in Turkey in the Champions League. For those unfamiliar, the biggest club competition in the world. Now, you're involved in what appears a completely innocuous collision, but it quickly becomes clear there's there's nothing innocuous about it, is there? No, it was it was um, terrible. I knew instantly I'd done something, and I thought I'd just brought my leg in Besiktas. Um, I remember chasing the ball down in the left-hand channel, the pass from Gary Kelly, and I just happened to run in between the um, centre-half, the left-side centre-half and the, the left-back. And, yeah, just the, the momentum of my weight shifting down and got my stud coat down the side of the player's football boot, can you believe? And then his momentum of running just basically dislocated and snapped everything. Um, it wasn't the... It wasn't the leg breaks. It was actually the ligament um, and tendon ruptures that I'd had down um, around the ankle joint, which had created a bleed in the leg, um, which basically we didn't know the the extent because you can't get an MRI scan until you get rid of a lot of the swelling down there. Mm. So I was basically in a moon boot um, in absolute agony for three to four days, traveling back from Istanbul with a green stick and my leg in a, a bucket of ice. And th- we knew that there was something serious had gone on. I mean, I, I couldn't... They, they tried to get us up and... and um, do some kind of analysis of what it was, but it was so big and, and, and black at the time and the bruising and swelling didn't go down. And then I had a, a more of an internal bleed. And um, I remember ringing the physio and he came and had a look. He said, we've got to get this done straight away and just get it open to see what what's going on. And um, yeah, they, they, I think there's still to this day, Dave Hancock, who's now over and he went on to be the physio of Chelsea, England, um, the Red uh, Washington over in the um, mm. American New York Knicks, Football League yep. and also the Knicks when they won it. He's, um, so Dave's gone on to amazing things, top physio. And he uses the the injury in, in the because I was told I would never play again because of the extent of the damage that they'd only ever seen in a motorbike accident. 
a lot of people do the outside ankle ligaments, but to do them on the inside was quite a, a unique, um, a unique thing. If there was anything to to say it was unique, yeah, it would happen to me. And it was, you know, told told I wouldn't play again. So they they operated crocodile clips to reattach the ligaments and tendons, and basically try and learn to walk again, let alone run. It was just to try and get the leg going again to get the 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 things flow into the brain um your, your neurological system as well so it was it was it was just a horrible journey and i was ready to take the take the insurance payout yeah that was on the uh, table never that was football ever again yeah that was on the table wasn't it and, and I'm yeah gonna... yeah it was about two and a half million pound was off on offer right because um, you, you had four four years to go on a contract at this point too i think yeah yeah I had, that, that was the only thing that really saved my career and it, thanks to dave hancock he said listen you got a four-year deal left. He said, if you take the insurance payout now, you'll never be able to play football ever again because as soon as they see you take the field, you'll get that taken off you. If you can handle that mentally, what I will do is say, you've got four years to try and get fit again and play. He said, forget about playing at the highest level ever again. He said, if it does, it's a bonus. Hmm. Um, he said, it's going to be 14 to 15 months of intense treatment and rehabilitation. Mentally, physically, you're going to be wrecked. And I was up for the challenge. And we went for it. And true to this, true to his word, Dave Hancock got, got me back playing. Um, he would do extra hours. I even slept at his house at times. There was times when physically and mentally I couldn't do it. And he'd give us a few days off to say, go and rehab, go and see the family and friends and get your mi- mindset correct. And I got back and it was unbelievable. So I played seven reserve games. Mm-hmm. After 14 months, I thanked Dave Hancock. I couldn't believe it. And David O'Leary said, right, we've got Malaga in the European Cup on Wednesday night and you are starting. And that was it. I just look. I was told I'd never play again, let alone at the highest level. And just to to feel that was was huge. But then four minutes into the game, um, sadly, my left Achilles tendon ruptured. It was like a compensation thing for all the work that I'd done on the right leg to get back. There was an overload down the um, Achilles that we hadn't really found and monitored, and I'd, I'd ruptured it. And that was another eight or nine months out. And physically and mentally, I, I couldn't. Couldn't get through that. Um, you know, I had a, had a really, really tough time. Thankfully, I met my girlfriend, who is my, now my wife. We've got two beautiful kids. I met her at the at the right time. Um, I think if I'd have been by myself, it could have been so much more different. I wouldn't um, probably be sitting here chatting news about things. Um, she, and, you know, she was just a, a breath of fresh air that told me to keep going. Um, and that was it. I knew I wouldn't play at the top level ever again from that. And I had to hide the injuries um, when I went to sign for Newcastle and Bolton Wanderers and teams like that. I just, I just knew I didn't have the speed anymore. I had the brain. I always had the football and brain, but the to lose both the the mechanisms in your legs and to lose the speed, I knew at that moment. So it was a, it was a tough pill to swallow. But I'd also known that there was a lot of people came back from Achilles ruptures, and if I've come back from the previous, I knew I could get back from this at some point. And you mentioned your wife, well, your now wife, Kate, who you met during that first layoff and how important she was. But still, even with that, I mean, how dark was this time? I and mean, we're talking, uh, you know, uh, drinking, diet. I mean, we can shut ourselves off at, at times yeah. like this from people, you know, and they're, they're the same people people who can pull us out of it. So in the depths yeah. of despair, I imagine it got pretty dark. It's, do you know what it is? I, th- I think it's when you speak to a lot of people that have uh, been through something like that, it's the people that are close to you, you push away. Um, it's the ones that love and you care for, you push them away. You distance yourself. You stop answering phone calls. Um, you hit the bottle, um, and you know drinking the beers and the wines and things, and then shutting the curtains and not wanting to get out. There's them kind of things go through, and that's when you really need a, a wake up call. Um, and you know when you've got good friends and family that can can show you and put a positive spin on things and get you out of that, then you see the light. But um, like I say, if you know, I've got a, I'm very grateful and thankful of, of everything that um, Kate did to to get us through this.
Uh, it's just unthinkable that you do the Achilles four minutes into your comeback game after 14, 15 months out. It's uh, incredibly yeah. cruel. We're talking to Michael Bridges on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So despite once playing under football's brightest lights, it was actually off-Broadway that Michael rediscovered his love of the game. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Michael Bridges has been our guest today. So, Michael, unfortunately, you couldn't quite get going again at Leeds, and you were released in May 2004. You got a Newcastle, which, which is great for all the historical reasons, then Bolton, then Sunderland, and then Bristol, before you end up at Carlisle United in League Two. Uh, I imagine here just a couple of years have just flown blind, something of a, of a blur. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. It, it was a blur, and it was trying to find your love of the game once again. And moving from New Wanderers, it was Sam Allardyce was fantastic at Bolton Wanderers. But I knew I wasn't going to get game time there. We had they had an unbelievable um, strike when Kevin Davies, Kevin Nolan was playing well. JJ Kocha, probably the best player I've ever played with off the field. He was just incredible. The stuff that JJ did in training and on the park. And I knew I wasn't going to play. And I thought, I've, I've sat out a long, long time. I've missed too much football um, over the last few years. I can't afford just to sit here and pick up my money. And Samuel Dice was fantastic. He said, why don't you go on loan back to Sunderland? And I did. I went back with Bob Murray and Mick McCarthy was the manager and we got promoted back to the Premier League. So that year was fantastic. Hmm. But again, getting back to the Premier League, three more strikers were bought and I thought I can't afford to sit around. So I was I was happy then to move down the divisions to play the games and get, get game time. And I found my love at, at Brunton Park with Carlisle United. Chris Lumsden was an ex-player that I played with at Sunderland and he was the you know one of the main leaders there. And he, he said, listen, there's a guy, Paul Simpson, an up-and-coming coach, player coach um, with Dennis Booth. Would you be interested in coming? We're desperate for a striker. You can come on loan. And I just went and had the the best time ever. You go from the incredible stadiums and then you, you I mean, yeah. Brunton Park is an incredible stadium when it's full, but it's not the full enclosed. You get the blo- the breeze blown through, the, the rain comes in horizontal from one end. Um, Christmas time, the pitch is just absolutely horrendously muddy, but you love it. And um, it's, I just found my love of the game again um, because I was playing regular. I felt like I was I was wanting again. I'd gone through a few different coaches that didn't have time to put in that kind of mental stimulation that I need. I would say, I'll give you a cuddle, basically, you know. <laughs> Simo yeah. Simo's a guy that, that did um, and respected whenever you needed time off to get your recovery and get you through the injuries. Um, to play, he understood that. He was a senior pro himself. He played till the back end of his um, 40s, can you believe? So he knew how you had to maintain the body and he, he was great with me. And we just had a cracking season again, getting promoted in, in a great time, um, playing against, getting promoted and back to um, Division One, playing against my old club, Leeds United as well, scoring at Elland Road for Carlisle against Leeds. Didn't go down too well. I didn't make um, a few of the fans that embraced me there happy. When I did that, but I, it was just nice to be able to hit the back of the net again on a regular basis, play regular football and have have some form of um, structure once again and normality rather than this really, really disjointed mindset and mind space I was at. Yeah. I had to, and, and thinking, 
thinking that I could still play at the highest level, but in reality, I couldn't. That was the biggest thing I had to get my head around to drop down the divisions. And when I had a ball at my feet and I was scoring goals, I realised that that's, that's what I was after. I was going to ask you that because it, was, it ended up being 16 goals in 23 appearances in the promotion you mentioned. Yeah. So you're, you're in a really good place and the, and the, and the form on the pitch was, was showing as a result. But, I mean, you'd gone from, as you touched on, playing in front of you know 105,000 fans at the new Camp to yeah. Brunton Park. I mean, there must have been some difficult times processing, as you say, what might have been and how quickly your career can just zoom by. Yeah, of course, because I mean, footballers are ego. We've got egos. We're egotistical. You were mm. winners. Um, you want to strive for that. It's how you control that ego and that kind of thing. And once I'd understood that and realised, like, you know, you're playing football, you were told you never would again. You're not going to play at the highest level, but you're playing at some level that people would would die for to play there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, it, it was just, once I got that mindset that I was playing with a smile on my face, we were, I was happy. The family was settled as we knew we were in a place. It was it was just great, absolutely great to know that you were doing something again that you loved. When and how did Sydney FC enter your life and had you ever in your life heard of the A-League? I had heard of the A-League, yes, because of Dwight York um, coming out here to play as well. And the, it came about, the move came about, I'd, I'd got a, another opportunity to go to the championship with Hull City and there was a guy, Phil Parkinson, signed me. So this again is where you just never know what coach is going to like you. If one coach doesn't like your style of play, some other coach is going to like it. And that's what I always say to people, don't just give up when you've been, you know, when one coach sees a different view or wants, there's different playing styles, there's different attributes, there's different characteristics they look for. And some coach will be out there that wants what you have. And Phil Parkinson wanted that at all, but he got sacked after eight games and a guy called Phil Brown came in and Phil Brown didn't take to my style of play, didn't take to what I was about. And he'd also been um, there at Bolton Wanderers um, when I was there for that short space of time. So we we clashed there. I didn't clash with Sam Allardyce. I had clashed with Phil Brown. So when he got the job, I knew my days were kind of numbered. And he made my life a misery. I've got to say, I started hating football again, hating what it was all about. There was no mentoring. And he, he really, I lost my love of the game once again. Thankfully, I had the twins. Um, Kate had just given birth to twins. We had a little bit of a, a, a you know, something to, to get away from football and realise that there was more to it than, than that. And there was life to be to be born. And that was the kind of distraction I needed. And But I couldn't sit around. And I thought, there's something we've got to do here. And it was Dwight, uh, Sydney FC had said, can they take me on loan for the remainder of the contract? I'm thinking, Sydney FC, I've already turned down a couple of clubs in London because I didn't want to move again. And I remember saying to the club, if if you think I'm going to go to Sydney FC, you've got nothing coming because if I won't go to London, I'm not going halfway around the world. Anyway, Dwight York rang us up um, and Dwight had said, mate, you've, you'll love it. Get yourself over, fresh start. He, to be fair, the difference between me and Dwight at the time, Dwight was talking about all the nightclubs and that, that we were on offer and <laughs> yeah, how, how right. long they stayed open till, which was great. And I said, Dwight, I've got a kid. I've got two kids and a missus now, mate. That's, that doesn't really entertain us every night. What's the league like? And he said, it's up and coming. And the other guy that was there at the time was Janino from Middlesbrough, the marquee player. And I thought, you know what it is? Let's go and give this a try. Um, change of scenery and literally came over to Sydney FC loved the football loved the way the league was going um, but living in Sydney me and the wife with twins in an apartment block it didn't really mm. didn't really fit and suit so we loved Australia loved the people but didn't really settle into Sydney um, so I had a good spell there Cosmina came in as the coach after Branco and literally went back over overseas and 
played for Carlisle once again before realising that Sydney uh, Newcastle Jets had offered a contract to come back out here um, to the A-League. And that's when I said, okay, I'll just go in for three months and I'll let you know what it's like. And then if you need to follow, you can because... And when I got to Newcastle and I was playing for the Jets and I was in the Newcastle region in the A-League, I remember ringing saying, listen, it's blue collar. I know everybody that's in this region already. I've only been here three three months. I said, everybody's trying to help us out and look after us and make sure. I said, you will really love it. The, the beach is the same as where we're from, but it's 20 degrees warmer. There's no dog poo on this beach. Um, we can enjoy it. And it, yeah, we just settled into life. And like I say, the A-League football was, was going places. There was big, big players coming in to the league and I was I was loving being a part of it and trying to help get the get the league established, especially at the Jets with the likes of Emil Heskey coming in. Um Singiono was overseas and Del Piero and it was going places and it was it was um a great time to be involved. So what keeps you busy now? I mentioned Optus Sport obviously off the top. Um viewers of the game over here will know yeah. you um from the work you do there. Of course a bit of management. I also think do you remain an ambassador for for, for Leeds? Yeah, so the, doing the Optus work, I love talking football and there's nothing better than obviously analysing games and doing that side of it. Yeah, um, Coaching to keep the, the buzz of the dressing room feel was um, was good to, to have a dabble with, um, with with Edgeworth Eagles as well in the in the MPL over here. Um, finishing off the coaching badges, got the pro diploma now after five years. So that's that's the avenue I, I want to go into, the coaching. Um, John Aloisi, who I work with on Optus, has just won the A-League um, <laughs> with Western United, which I'm delighted for him because, you know, it, it just, just shows you, you can pigeonhole yourself to a certain degree as being a, a media face, but we, we've all got the, the underlying and where we want to go. And I was chuffed to bits for John um, to do that. And like you were saying, the other thing is um, the ambassador role with, with Leeds United, which is great. Um, since we left years ago, they went into a lot of financial trouble. 16 years later, they got themselves back to the Premier League mm. and Andre, um, the owner, has been incredible. You got all the ex-players back that were basically banished from the club to say, can you help out on match days and things? And whenever Leeds travel, um, especially when they came to Australia a few years ago to play Manchester United and Perth, I was I was asked to chaperone the team around um, and the the fans and the, the sponsors. So it was just an incredible um, thing to be involved with um, and something I'm very proud of. And every time we go back, we always we always go back and, and do things with Leeds and they're coming back this pre-season as well, which is going to be incredible. They're back in July, playing in the Gold Coast, playing in Brisbane and playing in Perth again. So really looking forward to being part of that again. Well, they'll forever be linked with this part of the world, won't they? For the reasons we mentioned, you know, Harry Kuhl, Mark Viduka, there's a, there's, a, there's a big Leeds contingent well, I mean, here, was, isn't it? There was seven, seven players from Australia yeah. there when I was there. Amazing. And now you think about the Premier League has got no Australians playing in it at this moment, at this present time. That's what scares me. Um, yeah, there was Viduka, Paul Ocon, um, Harry Kuehl, Danny Milosevic, Shane mm. Carl, Sheriff, Jamie McMaster. And if I've missed anybody, Jacob I'm sorry. <laughs> Jacob Burns, wasn't it? Was Jacob Burns there at Leeds? Burnsy, there you go. Yeah. Wow, Jacob Burns, yes. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, good call. Fantastic. Hey, Michael, great to talk to you. I mean, I'm, I'm sure over the journey you would have lost count of the number of times people have come up to you and said the words, you know, could have, could have been this, could have been that. But you're on horribly unlucky with injuries that cut you down in your prime. But if things do happen for a reason, like we said, it's those setbacks that ultimately set you up for this wonderful life that you now live with your family here in Australia. So well done on all you achieved and thanks a lot for joining us. No, thank you very much. If there's anything I can leave anybody with, if the, anybody gets setbacks, you turn the negatives into positives in whatever way you can. 
because life's too short and um, you've got to make the most of it while we are here and do whatever you can. So um, like I say, I can look back with a smile on my face now and the future is still bright. Some great life lessons there. Thanks for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.